Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Dan McLaughlin, Randy Carricker with you on 101 ESPN. It's Carricker and Smallman. Michelle is out. She'll be back on Monday. We head now to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And Daniel Wallach is an attorney, legal analyst for The Athletic. He is co-host of the Conduct Detrimental podcast. I had the pleasure of joining Dan and Dan Lust a couple of weeks ago on the Conduct Detrimental podcast. And they do a great job. Dan, first of all, thanks for taking some time with us this morning. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, Randy. I'm I'm very happy to actually get you on the Randy Carricker show this time. I missed you on my last appearance. That's right. You had a nice week-long vacation. Yeah, I, I, and we appreciate you joining us last time and this time. I wanted to get, first of all, your main takeaways from the Seth Wickersham story yesterday at ESPN.com. Well, uh, I, I think now an expansion franchise is going to be anticlimactic. Nothing is as exciting as what's been taking place in this relocation lawsuit over the last, you know, two months. Uh, talk about the greatest show on turf. This is the greatest show in court or soon to be in court. <laughs> I think this is a sign. I think this is obviously a strong signal that uh, the all of the owners are leery of dipping into their own pocket to pay damages here. That's what this big fight is all about. And the language that I think you picked up on earlier in your program, I don't know if this is factual or someone is surmising that the focus is on the drafting of the of the word costs as to whether that includes all lawsuit damages or whether that is, that is in fact, uh, the heart of the controversy. It means, if this is true, that there's some uh, doubt or at least some confusion within the owners as to their as to whether they might be liable if this were ever litigated by Stanley Kroenke, which means I think if the, if the owners think that there's a possibility that they could be on the hook because his, his indemnity clause is not valid to cover damages, maybe this incentivizes the other owners to push more chips to the middle of the table to try to settle this case because if they had an ironclad indemnification agreement, then they wouldn't be worried about anything. This would simply be on Stanley Kroenke's shoulders and on no other owner's uh, back. Now it's all uh, it's, there's a little bit of doubt creeping in. So what have you heard about, and with your law background with that clause um, in this particular uh, situation, does Stan have a case with this? Do the other owners have a case with this? You know, with the, the, the wording, the definition of it, how do you see it uh, in, in terms of a court of law and what it means? Sure. Uh, there's no case. And I've done this research. There's no case that's going to say that costs in the context of an indemnity agreement means all damages, liabilities, and everything under the sun. Because if they don't use the word including but not limited to, uh, then you, you create a factual question. So I think it's an ambiguity. There's some ambiguity over whether the term costs is intended to cover fees and out-of-pocket expenses 
or litigation damages, which means that to decide what the parties intended, the court will, will, will likely allow external evidence to come into the case to ascertain what the intent of the owners was in coming up with a provision like this. It's illogically, you know, it couldn't have been just attorney's fees because in order to persuade John Mara and all the other owners who are recalcitrant about voting for the relocation to get them to change their vote, do you think the uh, five to $10 million of legal fees, is go- which is nothing more than a drop in the bucket, was enough to get these you know billionaires to change their vote? I think when you look at the surrounding circumstances and take a look at the sort of discussions and external testimony and, and what, what they were really thinking about, it had to have been indemnification over damages and not just simply over lawyers' fees, which is just simply nickels on the dollar for a league that uh, generates over $12 billion of revenues a year. They're going to be frightened by $10 million of, of invoices from a law firm? I don't think so. so Dan Wallach, it, comes down to, it comes down to testimony as to what the party's intent was. Uh, Dan Wallach, you can follow him at Wallach Legal, joining us on 101 ESPN, co-host of the Conduct Detrimental podcast. Uh, Dan, you tweeted about this, and I mentioned it earlier. If indeed, and, and I have no reason to believe that this is not the case, if indeed that indemnification just refers to costs, I don't know what legal malpractice is. But like I said earlier, in talking to a longtime contract attorney last night, if you don't use that term uh including but not limited to, and then just throw everything that's in the kitchen sink at it with with legal fees, any judgments, anything that could cost the NFL money, that is not very good lawyering, is it? No, but it reminds me of the Bill Belichick handwritten <laughs> resignation on the back of a napkin in 1999 or early 2000. Uh, this decision by the owners, and, and they were in a conference room uh, in all likelihood, and this decision or this uh, this moved very quickly, mm-hmm. and this may have been done somewhat in haste. But even if it was done in haste in a conference room on the back of a cocktail napkin, there's no reason why the NFL couldn't have sort of papered it up after the fact and created a a sort of a, a typical you know commercial transactional agreement that's prepared by some of the biggest and best law firms. I guarantee you. I mean, I'm. I'm I'm not a. I, I've been a lawyer for 25 years. I've drafted indemnity clauses. Relief. No, I've been an attorney for 30 years, and I've never drafted an indemnification clause that was strictly limited to just one word like that. The words "including" but not limited to are boilerplate in every indemnification agreement I've ever seen in my life. And attorneys are super cautious and super careful, and they try to throw in the kitchen sink to make sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that the language encompasses what they intend it to encompass. So if this really was limited to costs, it it creates two possibilities. Maybe it was really limited only to costs, a.k.a. attorney's fees and out-of-pocket expenses like like deposition transcripts, or this was just written in hand uh, and it was just simply a one-page agreement, like a a handwritten will that was not reviewed by counsel. Or... A third possibility is that the arrogance of the NFL led to them believing that they would, A, not be sued, or B, not have to face a serious threat in court. That is a very viable possibility, Randy. I mean, you have John Mara, who is so clueless 
that he he essentially opens his mouth and gives away the case. And by essentially admitting that we wouldn't have voted for this had you not agreed to indemnify the other owners, he's essentially saying that the league and the owners relied on factors and criteria that are not within the NFL's relocation policy. It's like an un- the unwritten criteria number 13, you'll, you'll compensate us. Uh, it, it really creates uh, a slam dunk argument for the city of St. Louis to highlight at the trial that the NFL did not follow its own guidelines or that the, the factors that were within the relocation guidelines did not drive the decision. If, I, if I'm the city of St. Louis, the county and the, and the uh, regional sports authority, I want to take John Mara's deposition. I want to highlight and get at some of the testimony or some of the quotes that were delivered in the Seth Wickersham article and take the depositions again of some of these owners because you're allowed to take one deposition, but when new facts emerge... Uh, and I'm talking about typical federal court practice. You get one witness for eight hours. You can't go a second time unless you have court approval or new facts emerge. And I think what transpired yesterday in that hotel conference room may be grounds for reopening some of these depositions, especially John Mara and Mark Davis, who might be able to help uh, the city of St. Louis take this case across the finish line, because what came out in that article was an admission that the NFL did not follow its own relocation criteria, which is a breach of contract. And since Judge McGraw has already concluded that the relocation policy is a contract and that the city is an intended beneficiary of that policy, they've essentially laid out their entire case, all three elements, contract, third-party beneficiary, and breach. That's why what happened yesterday may be more important than people realize because it really uh, it, it, it drove the, it basically drove the RBI home, and, and the city of St. Louis now has a much stronger case for breach of contract. So having said that, let's advance the story a little bit. Dan Wallach is our guest, and he's been all over this and done incredible research, and his understanding in the law has been helpful for us to try to understand this as well. So advancing the story, you wake up this morning, you're a lawyer for the St. Louis side, you're thinking what? And if you're a lawyer on the NFL side or even some individual lawyers for some of the owners in the NFL, what are you thinking? So take me through both sides. Well, geez, if you're the if you're the city of St. Louis's attorney, you you certainly want to take more discovery, lock it, lock in these stories, uh, try to find anything that could corroborate, uh, you know, some of these statements from the article, because otherwise it just may be hearsay. How how can you corroborate or verify that what Seth Wickersham wrote in ESPN is actually what was uttered by some of these individuals? So you have to find out. You send out interrogatories which are written questions to the National Football League to identify who was in attendance in the owners meeting uh, yesterday. And then you send out deposition notices uh, to, you know, obviously the owners and any other people in, in attendance. There's no guarantee that people won't be, you know, lying about what transpired. But you have to lock in some of that testimony and preserve it uh, for purposes of trial, because some of these owners are beyond the jurisdictional reach of the state of Missouri, and you may not be able to subpoena them for purposes of trial, so you need to take their depositions. Now, if you're the National Football League's attorneys, you recommend, if you're certainly, uh, you understand the state of contract law and the concept of third-party beneficiary and how much winning the city of St. Louis has done this far, 
you truly encourage your client to settle the case. Uh, I can't conceive of any circumstances in which the NFL and Stanley Kroenke go before a jury of St. Louisans and emerge victorious at trial. The, the real questions here aren't whether St. Louis will prevail at trial in front of a jury, but how much will the damage award be? How much uh, punitive damages will be awarded? And to what extent will that hold up on an appeal? And the danger, if you're an NFL outside counsel in, in, in talking to your client, you need to be able to convey to your client that the likelihood of a successful appeal reversing the jury verdict becomes much more difficult once the jury has rendered its verdict on factual issues, because when, when appeals courts look at jury verdicts and factual determinations, they accord significant deference to determinations made by a jury because the jurors are going to weigh the credibility of witnesses and they're there to they, they really have a front row seat. Appellate courts do not redecide or reweigh the evidence. The standard on appeal following a jury verdict is whether uh, the, the weight of the evidence or, it, or viewing the evidence in the light most favorable to the prevailing party, whether that still uh, creates a, a basis for the verdict that the jury reached. And I think when you look at the, the issue of third-party beneficiary and what was intended, the question of intent is going, to, is going to be decided by a lot of external factual issues, not just simply the plain language and the relocation policy, but the history of how the cities uh, and, and the U.S. Conference of Mayors played a critical role in consulting with and negotiating with the National Football League to create this joint statement of principles, which was incorporated into the NFL relocation policy. The cities uh, across the country, all the home markets, had direct involvement in the creation of these relocation criteria. And if the jury makes a factual determination that the third, that, that the relocation policy was intended to benefit the cities and cities like St. Louis, based upon consideration of all this external evidence, that's going to be a difficult thing to, uh, for an appellate court to reverse on an appeal. The difficulty here for the city, though, is that the judge has already decided that the relocation policy is a contract and has decided on the basis of the plain language in the relocation policy that the city of St. Louis is an intended third-party beneficiary. So by reaching a pure question of law, there is a chance that the uh, that the findings of the court could be reversed on appeal. But I think the saving grace here for the city of St. Louis is that the statement of principles between the U.S. Conference of Mayors and the National Football League was expressly incorporated within the relocation policy. And that shows a much greater intent by the league to benefit the cities in, in connection with this relocation policy. There are a lot of there are going to be a lot of appellate issues, but so much of it is bundled up in factual determinations by a jury and factual determinations by juries are deferred to. Uh, by courts as long as there's sufficient evidence presented to justify the verdict. So if I'm an NFL lawyer, I'm counseling my client, settle. If it means giving them a team, give them a team. But do not walk into that lion's den where you're facing a billion-dollar-plus possibility of a damages verdict against 32 individuals that would be paid jointly and severally. That's a no-win situation, and that's a bet I would never make if I were an NFL owner unless I, I knew for sure I was going to be indemnified by Stanley Kroenke. Now there's that element of doubt, and once you have that element of doubt, uh, folks like John Mara 
are not going to want to pick up the tab of a, of a of one thirty second of a two and a three billion dollar verdict. They Definitely. don't have that kind right. of money to write the check. Exactly. Dan Wallach, great analysis. Thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it, and have a great day. Fantastic. Thanks for having me on, Randy. Thanks, Dan. You got, you got it. Dan Wallach, and he is Lee analyst for The Athletic on 101 ESPN. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.